0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are in the last week of our Proverbs series. We are spending the summer in the Old Testament. And this little piece of time has been in what's called wisdom literature. So wisdom literature is designed to sort of give ideas of wisdom on how to live the right path, the path of good rather than evil, a godly life. And so in the book of Proverbs, what we find are a whole bunch of these pithy little sentences sort of coming at you one after another. And part of growing in wisdom is to know which to apply in which situation. These are not formulas that guarantee an outcome. They're thoughts to have you equipped in different situations to think what might be the wise, the godly way to respond in this situation I'm in. The three themes that we've covered in this mini part of our series have been anger, conflict, and now words. And a lot of the Proverbs actually have crossover, anger in words, conflict in words, conflict in anger. So there's a lot of crossover, but we decided to go ahead and take the time to observe these three themes, each from their own perspective. So here's a Proverbs uh, passage that crosses over for the last week's conversation around conflict and strife, now uh, focusing in on our words use. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. So our choices of words, including the choice to gossip or to be quarrelsome, can set the stage either for peace or for strife. And as I studied for this week and as I prayed and as I marinated in these and other proverbs, tons of proverbs, by the way, about our choice of words, I sensed a path for us to take this morning. And it's starting in this place, talking about proverbs and word choices, but we are going to land somewhere else. And hopefully it will make sense along the way as we go on three different stepping stones on our little path this morning. It's a little bit different than how I usually have a sermon go, but I think it's good, I hope it's gonna make sense. We're gonna see what happens. The first little step in our path is to look and make observation from the book of Proverbs on what the wisdom literature has to say about word choice now I'm just gonna pick a couple that sort of stood out as big themes to consider when we're considering our choice of words just see what might stand out to you number one words have the ability to get you into danger or can be used to promote safety or protection from the fruit of their lips people enjoy good things but the unfaithful have an appetite for violence those who guard their lips preserve their lives but those who speak rashly will come to ruin and then 14 3 a fool's mouth lashes out with pride but the lips of the wise protect them if we look at these passages we see something standing out and that's the theme of the the link with rashly or lashes out being seen in both that that quickness um, and so one observation that i have is like are your words do your words tend to get you into trouble you might want to see if you're moving a little too quickly and you might need the antidote of slowing down before you speak remember james 1 9, 119. everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak if this is a struggle for you i would just make this observation it may be that you're quick with your response because you're rushing too quick in life i know i do this. When I don't have any margin, when I am full to the rim and I'm about to spill over with busyness, I don't stop and think before I speak. And that can get you into danger. So if you're speaking rashly or lashing out without stopping, you may want to consider not only slowing down in your speech, but consider if you need to slow down in your buffer in your life. That's a whole other sermon, actually, a really uh, popular new book about an unhurried life. But read that and just consider if there are ways and things you can do to actually unhurry your life a bit more we can't be expected to have the ability to slow in our responses if we're running so hurried and keeping an unhealthy pace of life so that's one observation from the wisdom of proverbs another one sometimes the wisest thing is the absence of words the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongue I actually found one quote, it's not in the Bible, that said it was something to the effect of like, better to have people think you are a fool and be silent than to open your mouth and prove them right. I thought that was a good bit of wisdom. So sometimes the best thing to do is not to use words. Third observation, as a good reminder, words cannot always be trusted at face value. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. That just means like great evil is filling their hearts. So words can't always be taken at face value you've experienced it before probably smooth talkers charming personalities charismatic speakers we need the discernment of the holy spirit to consider the intentions and the heart behind those words to think of their validity i found myself singing that 1990 song more than words as i was thinking about that that song used to make me mad by the way you guys because i'm totally a words person i love love like more than words i love you that means so much to me but the fact is it's like what are the actions behind the words make sure there's validity there and those aren't false words. A fourth theme that I observed uh, in my time this week uh, is just a sobering reminder that words have incredible power to bring hurt or healing. These little collections of leather, letters that are put into sound waves hold immense power. The heart of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones or 1218, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I've been reading along with this series, this little devotional book, In Search of Wisdom by Joyce Meyer. And she says this, words are containers for power. And we decide whether that power is creative or destructive. I think that that's really important to remember, but I also know I don't need to convince any one of you of the truth of that statement. On the one hand, you maybe have felt that immediate warmth and calm that comes when somebody has spoken a kind, thoughtful, encouraging word at just the right time when you were feeling tender and you felt some healing start. And of course, on the other hand, unfortunately, maybe you've done that thing where something came out of your mouth and you almost can still see it like a word bubble and you want to grab it and put it back in because you instantly regretted it. You knew that your word cut like a knife and now it was out there. You know, have you ever had that feeling? Is it just me? You guys aren't like, no one else has wanted to stuff it back in their mouth. I've totally done that. Or on the other hand, you've probably palpably felt the blow of that hurtful thing that was said, and you can feel it like in your gut. Even if you've done that hard work of talking it through and uh, accepting the apology, forgiving the person, it still is somewhere in there. It can't really be unheard. It can be forgiven. And you can move past it, but it's hard to unhear a hurtful word. Because that's the scary thing with words. If it comes out of my mouth, it originated somewhere else inside of me. That thought was somewhere inside of me. Now, Side note, my little asterisk, I know there are exceptions. There are trauma responses where you do not have control of what's coming out of your mouth. There's medical conditions, personality disorders, mental health situations. There are situations where this statement may not be true, but by and large, if it came out of my mouth, it originated somewhere deeper inside of me, my heart or in my mind we're here going to take our next step because I don't think you guys need a whole big talk about the importance of words in this community. I feel like you you know the importance of words. You've experienced the importance of words. So we're going to take a step back one more in our little path here from our words to our heart. uh, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And of course, we know that Jesus was raised on this wisdom literature, studying the scripture, knowing the scriptures. So let's look to the teaching of Jesus, the son of God, on a similar topic. In Matthew 12, starting in verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. The words speak to the condition or the state of your heart. In that last verse, it's saying that on judgment day, words provide evidence of the state of your heart we see this in the theme of all of Jesus's teaching. We'll summarize this in a little bit of paraphrasing here. Forgive me the paraphrase, but Jesus teaches, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, do not even harbor anger in your heart. It's not just about what comes out, right? You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, do not even lust in your heart, right? Those are the outward actions, murder or adultery. But what Jesus wants is to say, let Let's take a step back from the outcome, and let's talk about the heart. Jesus wants freedom and healing and godliness to be coming as an outpouring from our hearts. Not just behavior modification, although choosing not to commit adultery is good, even if you still are struggling with lust in your hearts. It's But it's not the point. It's just not just about behavior modification. It's about a fuller freedom and a fuller healing. And that requires healing and wholeness in the whole heart. So in this example, our example today, if the outward action is the use of our words, the outcome, what comes out of our mouths, then Jesus is saying that is an overflow of what's happening in your heart. And that's what I want healed and whole. If we take an honest assessment of the state of our hearts, we realize sometimes it's super messy in there. That's just the human experience that we've been talking about in this series. So we've tried to be really practical these last few weeks, right? And a couple weeks ago, talking about anger, Sam taught about the six base emotions that all humans feel and the different varieties of them. But we're going to feel all of them in our hearts. Last year at one of our formations, Adrian Gibson taught us to stop using the language of good or bad with emotions, but instead use comfortable and uncomfortable. There is no bad emotion. Our hearts will feel uncomfortable things, and that's not a sin. So I'm not talking just about the emotions we'll feel, those will happen. I'm asking more. So that's not just like I have a yucky emotion. We've already kind of covered that a couple weeks ago, but I'm talking about like what are you harboring in your heart? What's being produced in our hearts due to the reality of these emotions? And so that quick little stepping stone of our hearts, we went from words, gotta go behind there, we gotta get to the heart, and that's where I think we need to get to a landing stone over here, which is the thought life. Now, what do I mean about a thought life? It's that constant, ongoing, sometimes without us even recognizing it, work of our brain, which is thinking, observing, processing, creating various outcomes, practicing conversations that have not yet happened, dreaming, Worrying. It's that if you had like a court stenographer in your brain all day, it's that whole list of the ongoing dialogue and work that your brain is constantly at work doing. And if you're not sure what always is going on in your thought life, here's a little exercise that Andy and I like to do. Sometimes we go on road trips and it'll be silent for a while. We're both off in our old world. And if that ever happens, just ask the other person, like, what are you thinking right now? And you'll have been in the car together. And one of them, this will be the, an example of ours, right? And you'll be like, a while ago, I saw a picture of a hamburger and I thought it never looks like that when I get a hamburger there. And then I thought, you know what? I really like that place for pizza. Maybe we should go to that place next week. And and I bet we could do a lunch date and that's where his brain is. And I'm over, and then he'll be like, what are you thinking about? I'll be like, I was thinking if I lived on a farm like that one we passed a while ago, I would want it to be a horse farm, but I would want two, far, two horses so they could be friends. You know, like I, we just, you just check, like where is your brain been? And sometimes I haven't even realized that I'm thinking about horses until somebody asks you. And then you have to back it up and be like, how did I get, it? why am I thinking about horse names right now? And you go, but I saw this farm back there. And you realize where your brain has wandered and gone off to. That's your thought life, and so much is going on without you even realizing you're thinking about it. There's almost never nothing going on in your thought life. That was an intentional double negative. There's almost never nothing going on in your thought life. And again, as Joyce Meyer says, the words we speak come from the thoughts we think. That's how we got to this connection, right? And we are helpless to control our words if we let our thoughts run rampant if we let our thoughts run rampant and we don't take an active role in our thought life, we can spend a huge amount of time thinking about things that are not bringing healing and wholeness and peace to our hearts. Our thought life, without us even recognizing it, can be malforming the posture of our hearts. And that's why we're doing this conversation a little differently than usual. And I'm going to end on this last stone by doing something that we don't usually do. I am going to give you a deluge of scriptures about the thought life, but let me first start by telling you why I'm doing this. It took me a long time to realize how much the New Testament wanted to talk about our active role in our own thought life. I hadn't noticed this or seen it in a little while ago. If you are somebody who is new to the thought of taking active control of your own thought life and your thought patterns, just grab a little pen and paper, jot some of these down and look at them later. Meditate on them, read them while you're battling dark thoughts once you're aware of them. But first I'm gonna explain why I'm dousing us with scripture right now. Well, we already talked about formation by meditation. And so this is a good thing. These are great passages to meditate on about thought life. But I'm telling you this because this came these came to be a lifeline for me personally years ago in my own battle with my thought life when I realized I was taking a far too passive role with my crazy wandering mind I shouldn't have just used crazy it was it was just like it was unruly my unruly thought life it was not going well at all and in this, this part of my story what ended up happening is I started to experience physical symptoms of anxiety for the first time in my life not like I'm anxious about this test but like my throat was closing up and I felt my heart racing and it felt like there was like a very heavy weight on my chest. And then sometimes my arms would go numb. And when it got to its worst, I would feel a tingling all the way up into my jaw. And I was trying to do my breathing and all of this. And the best thing I could do was go and get back into counseling and figure out what was going on in my body because it was becoming debilitating. And I started to realize that I had a real battle with my thought life going on. Isaiah 26, three, that's the first one to jot down. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you my mind was not at peace. I was nowhere near steadfast. I was so busy in my brain. I was going far off into dark places before I even realized I was entertaining those thoughts. And it was forming me in really unhealthy ways and not in the way of flourishing that I know God has for all of us, desires for all of us. It was not healthy or healing. I knew I needed God's help and so I was praying, but I was also needing something more tangible. So I found these scriptures like a life line to myself and they are addressing the very problem I was having with some really practical help. And that's when I realized how much the Bible has to say about taking an active role in our wandering minds. Yes, it is a spiritual battle. It can be a spiritual battle, battle. But I had a clear role to play and we have a clear active role we can play. So when I was meeting with my counselor and we were talking about anxiety, he gave me this tool if you ever had it or this realization. When you're having anxiety, the first thing you need to do is realize it's happening and realize that your body is going through a moment like that, accept that this is a physical outcome of of your body's reaction to the situation. So you have to realize it first, accept it, and then cope. And then we worked on coping skills. That's great. We're not preaching about anxiety today. I adjusted this same formula to help me with my thought life. And so I started to practice it this way. Number one, I had to realize it was happening. I had to realize that I'd spent the last 10 minutes thinking about horse names in that silly example. But in my own mind, I really could realize, like, I've been gone for 10 minutes thinking about that scenario that hasn't yet happened. And my heart is racing. I am, this this is me entertaining a worry that I need to just take before the Lord. So first realize where has my brain gone been going and I've just let it go some far off place. So realize it's happening. Next is accept. And what I mean by this, my counselor used to tell me, Melissa, your self-judgment about your thought is worse than the original thought. You need to stop that. And so accepting that our thoughts do wander. So accept it and just bring it before the Lord. This is a stage for me where I then go to number three. I have to set it down before God. And it looks like this, sometimes a really quick prayer. Even if it's ugly, I need God's help. I can't just drop it on my own, right? So what I would do, for example, is I would just say, oh my gosh, Lord, I just, I was just gone. And I was thinking these awful thoughts about this person who you love, and I don't love them right now, but I just need your help. Like, will you help me? I need to drop this thought. Just real quick, give a real, here's where we're at, Lord, but don't feel like you need to get your brain right on your own. The Lord wants to help you. So then the coping is setting it down. And then this is the part that these verses help the most with. Set your thoughts elsewhere. That is an important active point. We have choice in our thought redirection. Once we recognize that we've gone somewhere off in our brain, we can't always pick where our mind just was, but we can recognize it, accept it, set that down before the Lord and set our mind elsewhere, Colossians three one to two. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now you may be thinking that sounds really great, Melissa. But I had this huge fight with my coworker, and I'm supposed to stop thinking about that and start thinking about like heaven or angels or something. That's not what that verse means. It doesn't need to literally be on heavenly things it's just thinking setting your mind actively in some other place which brings us to one of my favorites for my 3am which is one of my worst brain moments when i wake up in a in a funny place Philippians 4, starting in 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So thinking about things above from that Colossians passage, passage can mean literally going through and saying, naming something that is pure, something that is lovely, that snuggle with little baby Gigi while we were reading books before bed, that way that I felt when my friend called me. Think about that conversation. Think about these things. Set your minds on what is lovely and praiseworthy. And that's where you actively choose to start thinking elsewhere. It doesn't mean avoidance of the conflict or anything like that. I'm talking about when your mind has gone and started starting to foster things that you know are not constructive anymore. You can set your mind elsewhere and actually have um, an active role in that guarding of your heart and mind through the peace of God. And the Spirit joins us and empowers us and helps us. So we, this is just the reminder. We have an active role in forming thought patterns and thought play spaces of our minds we can still work through the hard things but you know that it can get a little messy when our thoughts are running wild we can control how we set our minds when i check my thoughts are they in keeping with what the spirit of god desires this romans passage it's saying live according to the spirit not the flesh uh flesh meaning um our our earthly desires live according to what the spirit would have for us. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. This is like if you're thinking about revenge or, you know, violence or anything like that. But those who live in accordance to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So that means literally submitting, being willing to submit our thought life to the spirit of God. And that's an all the time thing. That's not a one and done thing. It's like, oh, my mind is there, God, help me. Like, let's, let's put this before you. I remember one time, this is a silly example, but I was so frustrated and I was walking down the street just fuming mad. And the only change I did was I was fuming mad. I'm just so frustrated, this isn't fair. And all I did was like, oh, I should have this conversation with God and not just with myself. And I said, God, I'm so mad. This is so unfair. And i just started praying it out instead of fuming about it and festering in my head. You guys, the difference of that posture was huge. And the spirit revealed so much in that moment. So just submit that, let your mind in its messiness be governed by the spirit. Uh, Another one, uh, this is another similar thing. Uh, Second Corinthians, uh, for the For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons fly, I'm sorry, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds including in our thought life. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this is all just a group of passages if you're struggling in your thought life to think of and meditate on to say what is my active role in this and how can I bring that spiritual dynamic of engaging with the spirit of God with my active choice. And that's what I just submit to you is that quick little practice again and again. Number 1 you have to when it's happening. You have to just realize when your mind has gone to a dark place. You can accept it. No need to self-judge, but take an active stance, set it down before the Lord, and then set my thoughts elsewhere, and maybe keep that list even nearby of what's lovely. Like, what should I, what is praiseworthy that I could talk about with God right now, because I'm in a dark place. So, the sermon really quickly in reverse, how did we get to that random topic about our thought life? Because from our mind, we are shaping our heart with what we're pondering and ruminating about all the time. That shapes our heart. And from our heart comes the overflow of our mouth. And so if we wanna be true speakers, we want these words not just to be practiced because of restraint only, but what we want to come out of our mouth is talk of healing and hope, restoration and love, then we can back it up and have our thought life impact, our heart health impact what it is that we're spreading out to the world around us. Random path, make sense? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, there's a whole bunch of scriptures and feeling a little disjointed this morning so I just pray over all um, that we've spoken about here that you would like smooth out the rough edges in the hearts of um, people who are listening and just um, have the peace that is most healing for each of us be the thing that is highlighted and just anything confusing just wash away but God I thank you that when you are talking to us about healing hearts and minds, it's because you want a truly whole and healed uh, person for each one of us. And God, sometimes that feels like hard work. It feels so far off when we are um, wrestling with thoughts in our minds. So help us to also be a community that can um, speak hope and healing uh, over one another, that can help one another process towards a healthy thought life and healthy heart posture, Um, that none of that work needs to be done alone, nor should it be done alone. So first, God, help us to engage with you, and then with each other, with just um, reflections of your grace on all of our messy journeys along the way. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodachicago.com.